Hello, humans. Welcome to the weekly Vine Down. I'm Emily Smith, your host. It's great to see you again. Trying out new office decor. I had some artwork, but it was taped up and it kept falling down. So you just get plants today, people. No more kid drawings, but they'll be back. Don't worry. Um, I'm here with Lee Mladzik, who's the VP of Enrollment for Simpson College in Iowa. Um, Lee and I are old friends, very old friends. I first met Lee when he worked for Ripon College, um, where Lee was uh, for 18 years right after he graduated from Ripon College. Um, and during that time, probably, I don't know, I want to say 2006-ish, um, at that point I had met Lee many times via the phone. And this was like before big video conferencing days. So like we didn't like have any sense of each other. And Lee walked up to me at the first time I met him in real life. He walked up to me in NACAC and handed me what was like very famous to me, which were these famous cookies from Ripon, Wisconsin called Ripon Good Cookies. Like the name is so good. They no longer make them. Um, but this was a like a trademark of visiting Ripon College was you got Ripon Good Cookies. And um, I'll never forget that first moment. Lee, I met you. You handed me the cookies. And here we are 200 years later having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Vine Down. Thank you, Emily. Hello. You have a much better uh, memory than I do. I can tell you that much for sure. Well, I don't remember anything after that point, but like the the initial the initial meeting was like very tattooed into my brain. Um, but I don't know what we did next. It was NACAC, so I don't know. That um, is a good Lee, question. Yeah, right. Lee, I'm so happy to have you. Um, I think it's a really, I don't know, it's an auspicious week and things keep changing in our space. FAFSA news is going nuts. Um, we are going to talk about any number of things, including and um, mostly focused on sort of how Simpson does relationship building and personalization as a small institution. Um, I want to start with the question we always start with, which in our higher ed leader series, which are, Lee, I'd love to have you share with our audience three key lessons as a uh, seasoned, not too well seasoned, but a seasoned leader in our space. What are the three key lessons that you've learned throughout your career? Thanks, Emily. There are um, actually two sticky notes on my computer stand right now, and they're kind of a reminder of two of the lessons, and I've had them here since my, my arrival at Simpson. And, and the first reads, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, and I think what that really speaks to is that you can have kind of the, the best strategies and plans in place, yet um, the individuals carrying them out uh, make all the difference in the world and the culture in which those individuals are in and um, how they relate that to prospective students and families in our world makes makes all the difference in the world as well. So it's kind of that uh, feeling that families get when they when they come to a campus, I think is, is really important. and. That is a, a good reminder for me all the time when, I, when I'm thinking about big picture, um, probably more on a daily basis and, and one that I share more with counselors on a regular basis is the second sticky note that says you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And when it comes to the, the visit experience, specifically counselors always uh, counselors and staff always hear me talking about that first impression you know that it really starts you know before students get to campus that first impression and the amount of work that it takes to have students step foot on campus um it really is years of work that that it takes mm -hmm. to get there and, and making that first impression being being really important so um that's one that i like to use on a regular basis and then i think that really the third thing is something that 
I like to share with prospective students on a regular basis. And that's just, you know, surround yourself with great people. Um, and if you can, you can do that, you're going to be successful in whatever you do. And you're going to have that much better of an experience, um, whether that be attending college or going to, to work every day, you're going to enjoy it that much more. So those would be my, my three top things. Good organizing lessons. I might fight you on the culture and the strategy because I don't know, we're pretty intense about both things at College Vine and we actually opt the other way around that like strategy is really important to us and let our like, but culture is a really defining, really strong culture is one of our strategies. So I don't know, we could, we could cut hairs on that. But I do have a question about number two, which is the first impression thing. You are a mellow guy. I've known you for a long time and like your affect is like very mellow. I've never been one of your staff members, so I don't know what it's like to work for you, but I would imagine you're a pretty mellow people manager. Um, I know you're a parent of a young child uh, the way I am. And there is a certain amount of like emotional flexibility that comes with that. I'm curious about like your first impression thing. What is the, what are the few things or one thing that you're like very intense about in your first impression? Is it like the grass outside of the visitor center has to be cut a certain way or like, unless you shake hands and look someone in the eye team member, like we're done. What are the like weird nitpicky things you're intense about on the first impression thing? So Probably really the first thing, especially when I came to Simpson, was um, the path to campus and the path to our building, actually. And the the signage um, that was used in the past actually took it, took our guests to kind of the backside of campus, past the facilities building, past um, really kind of the the back door to campus, even though it was probably the closest thing to the admission office. But every mm. first impression that you were getting leading up to campus was not impressive. Um, whereas on the other side of campus, um, we have a beautiful public park that is adjacent to campus where you can um, drive past the, the city park and you can see the residence halls and it has a very picturesque view of campus. And that then is, has, becomes your first uh, initial reaction to campus. So it took a little bit of time and uh, a little bit of change, but you know, we started to bring students and families down that path. And then um, I guess the, the second thing that really got me kind of along the same lines is we would have students arrive on campus and call because there's, there's parking lots across campus, of course. Um, they would call the front desk and say that they were lost on campus. And that was like- Bad feeling. Like, it's a heartbreaker. Yes. That was like nails on the chalkboard for me. Every time I could hear mm -hmm. that phone call and my desk is, my office is right outside of the, the front desk. So um, we did a much better job with the signage that we have and, and had a little bit of fun with it for when students first arrive on campus. So um, that really goes to that first impression thing. So it's really before they even meet anybody um, when they arrive on campus. Yeah. I, as, as most good mid Midwesterners, I knew there was like one thing that like really turned your screws about like the people getting lost. And I would agree that is, um, that is such a pet peeve. And I think it's uh, so wonderful that we have now such great teaching from like folks like Jeff Pillay out in the space who are like so intense about the visit experience. And we've learned so much over time to learn that, that, that really like a student getting lost on their way in is not an acceptable way to begin that, uh, begin that first relationship. Okay, well, thank you for sharing those three key lessons. They are wonderful. Um, quick question, because this is not exactly why we're here, but it's something I'm curious about this week because a friend of mine, Mickey Baines, who has his own podcast, he's been a guest on our show. I've been a guest on his show. 
We've been talking a lot lately. He posted this week on LinkedIn, which is a, a, an interesting topic. He posted about chief enrollment officers who do not report to a president. And in this leadership series, I wanted to start asking folks in your position, like who you report to um, and um, and sort of like what your reporting structure is at your institution um, in terms of like president's cabinet and highest levels of leadership. Yeah, I think we have a pretty traditional structure here at Simpson. I do report directly to the president and then uh, we have members. Right. Yes. Um, well, that was actually, the conversation this week was like a chief enrollment officer who reported up through three levels that reported to a president and enrollment didn't have a key seat at the cabinet table. That would be challenging uh, to, yes. to say the very least. Uh, and, you know, I think especially at a small institution where and we know how tuition driven so many so many schools are these days not to have that key cabinet seat, I think, um, you know, is, is a little bit problematic. Um, so I'm very happy to, with the fact that I do reports directly to the president and um, I think we have your your typical um, cabinet makeup. Okay, thank you. That's uh, just an important topic for me this week. I've been starting to kick the tires around like, wait, why wouldn't a chief enrollment officer as basically the chief revenue officer for the company be uh, not be in that senior leadership uh, position or like with among the most senior levels of leadership in the institution. Okay, Lee, the topic that we're here really to talk about is um, relationship building. This is something that Simpson does really well. You are also able to effectively motivate your staff to build relationships. And this is where typically enrollment leaders feel a lot of friction to motivate their staff to build relationships. And I, this is sort of a gritty, candid, like, I want you to show your math to the audience about how what your ideal state is, what sort of what you're landing on as far as good enough and how you direct your staff in the way that given real world constraints, whether it's, you know, staffing and vacancies or, um, or money that you have available to throw out this problem. But I really want to start digging into um, the relationship building that Simpson is able to do, because as a small institution, um, you really can go like man to man in that way, which I think is really important. And, um, I want to talk about how you all do that with, with your team. So we were talking in advance of this and we had talked about your, like your weekly lead lists. And I'm wondering if you can share with us, like how you deploy that with your team. And we can chat a little bit about like what you have on those weekly lead lists, how your team reports back to you on progress and how you keep them going. Because I think many, again, many leaders are feeling that friction of a team who you ask them to go build a human relationship and they're like, couldn't possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where it started, and we had done this at Ripon too, is just kind of with priority lists overall and knowing from my seats, kind of seeing the big picture and the different communications that we're, that we're sending out through a variety of um, channels, it was then getting that information into the counselor's hands where it could be most actionable. And mm -hmm. it really started when I got here, the, the priority lists, and I like to think that counselors did so affectionately, they've now started calling them Lee's lists, like my list that I sent out to counselors, they're, they're Lee's lists now. Like this is because of you, in spite yes. of you. Yes, so, um, and it was first just convenient. to the it, it, was, it was convenient and it was to the counselors. And then all of a sudden we were having our morning staff meetings and people started looking at like, what are counselors talking about Lee's list? Like, cause I hadn't shared with the, the broader team. And so it needed an explanation. Um, but anyways, the, the Lee's list really 
put students in front of counselors that and put them there with an actionable message. Um, and, and I think that's an important part to it is that. So you predetermine the message. You're like, this is what we're working on this week. Yes. Is it call yep. to action at, uh, and what are some of those things? It's yes, it's a, it's a very specific call to action depending on the time of year. So, and they're primarily to applicants. Um, so a lot of times it's, you know, completing the application, um, the, the, the inquiries that we do, we do a few for inquiries, but they're really high level inquiries in terms of they visit a campus, they haven't applied yet. So the call to action is really to apply. Um, but it's really kind of taking that next step in the process. That's helping the students and the families along to really take that next step. So it's not just a broad, hey, call into touch base on how your college search is going. Uh, it's it's yes. a very actionable type of item that we're asking them to do. And I think in terms of getting the counselor buy-in, some, some really important parts to that is, is the explanation of why. And I always try to share that, and whether it be in a counselor weekly meeting or in the email, this is the list that we're contacting because X. Um, and they're different week in and week out. And there may be a list that we'll circle back to a month later, but it's a different list of students at that point. But the counselors always know why. And what gets the buy-in is that they see that action then. Like counselors, um, they're working. Like people are either responding to text messages, responding to emails, they're completing those applications. So it's not, um, and, and the list volumes are really manageable. I think that's the other piece to it is that it's not saying, okay, you have to contact all 300 of your applicants. They slowed, right. Contact this list of 50 that were the most recent ones to have taken action. Okay. So a bunch of things that you're saying that you're like presenting to us as like table stakes, but I think are really important that I want to break down here because Typically, and you and I have been talking about this over time, that like the things that you're really good at, it's really hard to see the thing. Those are the things that you're really good at. But as I observe what you're saying, like you've made this a you've made this an actionable bite to chew for your counselors. And what I'm hearing you say is it's a manageable load. It's a clear expectation. And you've you've packaged up in a very clean way exactly what they need to do and say. It's not just like, hey, we need to be calling. If you're an admissions leader and you're listening and you're saying to your staff and team, hey, just 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 be calling. Not enough information for your team, especially for a junior team who calling feels very hard, especially for like uh, younger millennial and Gen Z staff that you may have in your office. Like picking up the phone to call a student like feels bizarre. So know that that feels hard and very friction filled. So I'm hearing you say it's a manageable bite because the list size is, is reasonable. It is a scripted why you tell them exactly what to say. Um, and there's a clean expectation that they, they will do it. I really like that. We talk about this all the time. And this is something else we didn't find out. We talk about like what we do in corporate sales. And I know sales is a dirty word in admissions. I get it. But essentially, your admissions folks are your sales force. And what we talk about on a sales team over in corporate land um, is having that really clean call to action because it is it's inappropriate and annoying if I, you know, I have been a seller of things in the space for a long time. And if I'm calling you, Lee, and I'm like, just calling to check in, do you want to buy my thing? You'd be like, no, I don't want to buy your thing. But if I'm like, Lee, I want you to take a look at this new data. Lee, I want you to come to campus and visit. Like that very crisp call to action. And this is something that you could spend an hour with your team generating in a retreat. Like all the calls to actions, you could even put them on a calendar and repeat them every year because you've got different events coming up throughout the year. And this would be a good use of your time to have a library of calls to action that you can tote out in your weekly. 
Lee's lists. Yeah, and actually we didn't even script this, Emily, but that's perfect because when I arrived at Simpson and was first introducing like this concept, they're saying, oh, you want us to cold call. You know, you want us to cold call these students and mm. no, there's there's nothing about cold calling here. These are students right. that have taken an action. Yes. Um, they're looking for, you have a piece of information that they need. This is not cold calling, you know, just a, a student off the street. This is very a managed list that um, it's a welcomed call rather than a cold call. Yes, I I totally agree. And like, I think the way you're talking about this sort of like qualified leads that you're engaging with is really important. However, and this is like where I want to go next. Is there a world in which, because the t you're talking about, we call mostly inquiries and, and all of our applicants. Is that right? Yes. If I gave you all of this, oh, tell me more. Yes, to a certain degree. Um, yes, and? <laughs> yes, and. So that's, you know, that's the other piece of it. Even when you look at applicant lists right now, they're too large. And, and we've been growing, like, like many schools, we've been trying to grow our applicant lists and our admit lists. Even those are too large when you get to, to that point to effectively manage them. So um, there's different at different points, it's not, you know, calling the hundred admits that are, that are in your territory. It's calling the 30 because, because of the point that they're at, it's trying to meet the students where, where they are and anticipating that I think is really important. Well, yeah. And you were going exactly where I was going, which was like, you will in this day and age and Lee, you and I like came up through admissions together and we were trained by some of the same like actual people in sort of prospect management and, some of the things that we now refer to as like more cross funnel recruiting, but like in, in younger in our careers, Lee, like you and I were engaging with even inquiries, like we, the volumes and funnel volumes were just smaller 10 years ago. And it was reasonable 10 years ago that us counseling staff would be calling inquiries. Now we've like lowered our standards and lowered that call threshold to the applicant stage. And you're even saying like, we even have too many applicants to call. So we, we might not call all of our applicants. We sure would like to. But there is that like constraint of you, you, you can't even call all of your applicants, let alone go up funnel to call all of your inquiries. Like that would feel crazy in this day and age because of our funnel inflation over time. And we feel like we have to do this like big volume game rather than like measuring affinity earlier, better among those students to know who to call and who to spend time with. And we certainly can't scale the staff to do that now. Absolutely. And I think we've been focusing on calling, but at times it's not even calling. Um, mm. I don't know students that pick up the phone anymore, hardly. Sure. That, that's really an important piece to it, too. In in our messaging and when I'm talking with counselors, it's really calling, texting, emailing, and actually probably not in that order. Usually texting, emailing, and then calling. Um, calling's kind of become a last resort. And uh, the other thing that has been I think more effective, especially when we look at financial aid and, and having those conversations are actually Zoom appointments and being able to set those up and, you know, connecting with families that way to have deeper conversations um, yeah. to be able to help them. One one of the things that, that you had mentioned uh, talking about was kind of like that expectations and how do you get buy-in from counselors that the other piece mm -hmm. of it is that um, this will make some some of our old time friends cringe a little bit probably is the fact that I'm very uh, 
distinct and saying, I'm not a bean counter. Like, I don't want call logs. Like, I don't need to see call logs. I need to, I need you to record what you're doing in timeline so we can go back to it and we can be that much more personal the next time you contact them. But I don't need a specific Meaning like recording the details of what you discussed if you there was a yes. connection? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. So I don't need to know that, you know, you made 60 calls, three people picked up and you left 40 messages. Um, why right. Do Volume those? doesn't matter when quality sucks. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Well, and Jeremy, hi, Jeremy, one of our loyal watchers um, is talking about in our, in the comments about how like this is such a directed activity for counselors because counselors have so many lists and this is just like a clean way of saying here's here's what your engagement is but now lee you're talking about quality and i, I want to jump into that one of the tools we use again over on the corporate side i'm like banging this drum big time because i think we can learn from each other in this way but one of the things we do is we record all of our calls as a default like if i'm having a pretty sensitive call with somebody i, I will like not record it but it's our default move these days to record calls and then we as a team meet together to to review them and we sort of run game tape um to do what's it called Monday morning quarterbacking. I was told recently that like as a person who does not like sports, I do a lot of sports analogies. So, but we do that. We run game tape and we, we talk like, Oh, well here, I think they were asking this and you missed it. You went this other direction. Like, why did you do that? And we do that as a team and it really, really ups the quality of our conversations with families. Do you, do you do that? Or would that just feel bizarre if you were talking about like watching student and staff interaction? We don't, but I don't think it's a bad idea. It's also making me think about our past calls together. So, um, but that's a whole different story. Uh, what we what we do do on the front end, I will say for um, financial aid calls specifically, is we'll have our director sit in on some of those first calls, um, particularly mm -hmm. first calls of the season, um, particularly with new counselors, making sure that they're comfortable with just kind of flow of conversation and how to talk through financial aid offers and things like that. So um, I don't mind actually the, the Monday morning quarterbacking idea, especially for, I think, everybody runs across like those difficult conversations. And one of the, the things that I'm fortunate to have is a team that's really good about bouncing ideas off of one another or talking about, right. so I have this situation, how have you handled that in the past? Yeah, that's great. Do you do that regularly in a weekly meeting with your team or how do you, how does that come up just organically or do you actually sort of do that in a ritualized way? More organically, we'll do on a regular basis as we head into, um, and I keep on bringing it up because you know, it's also top of mind, as we head into financial aid season, head into making those phone calls, um, we'll do that at the outset, like in our first training meeting to kind of kick it off, talk about those particular situations from the past year or um, how to handle different types of conversations. That's a regular part of the, the training that goes on. Got it. Yeah. I mean, the, the difficult conversations thing is so important to me. Um, that's something I've had like a, you know, there's a past find down. You can look at the back issues or back episodes of find down folks out there to watch um, a, a long episode we did on difficult conversations, conflict at work and how to handle yourself in these um, conversations. So that's a topic I'm super passionate about. I think lots of staff can use continued professional development on that. So I think that's really awesome. Curious about any friction you felt from your team about like just not wanting to call like that where you've been working with a team member who it just feels really hard to get through the list or it's sort of like they're not getting to it each time. Um, and that feels hard. Like how, how do you handle that? Typically it plays out in the numbers. So it's really easy to handle Ooh, it. When, Downstream when, hurt. Yeah. 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 So 
um, that's something that we'll also meet on a regular basis and, and really talk about uh, in terms of where, you know, how their funnels are shaping up within their territories and things like that. And if there's gaps, um, we can talk about, okay, why are there these gaps? You know, we talked about just using completed applications, for example, you know, you're running behind everybody else on the team. We had these lists. How are those contacts going? What are you hearing? Um, so I think that can be a really effective way to to manage um, expectations with that. Yeah, I think that's great, right? Because you're you're showing them instead of making it personal. And this is again something we talk about in in sort of management all the time. And when you give difficult feedback, it's really important to talk to your team members about their behavior as it affects the business and not make a character assassination, right? Like if you have a team member who's not making calls, it's not like anything wrong with that person. It is the behavior impacting the business. And Lee, you, what you just told me was, it's very clear, the numbers don't play out. This is something that's going to affect their funnel, affect the rest of the team. All of these downstreams effects are, uh, downstream effects are really easy to see how they impact the greater team, the bis- like the business of enrolling students um, in the whole funnel. So I really like how you're talking about behavior and impact and not doing character assassinations. I think that's really critical. Okay, Lee, I'm curious about, like I I had said before, you know, 10 years ago, we might have been able to personalize more and sooner because we were dealing with lower volumes. In this era where we know you will continue to win on relationships as a small college, I'm curious, like, what good enough looks like like when you're looking out at your team and the right amount of personalization and relationship building, what are you looking to see to be true to know that we're like, okay, this is maybe not my ideal state of personalization, but what does good enough look like? And then the follow on question to that will be like, um, what, what would you continue to do if you had additional resources to add more personalization? I think you know, in terms of what good enough looks like, if I get the follow through that we're talking about in terms of going through the lists, um, making sure that it's all documented well, um, to me, that's what good enough looks like is we're setting that expectation and um, it's getting documented in Slate. We have details, we have information to go back to for that follow up call um, you know, months down the road that. I think is is good enough. We're, we're getting through um, what we intended overall. If, you know, unlimited resources, there is a whole lot more that I think, you know, we use Slate as a CRM. I think there's a whole lot more that um, you could really look at personalizing or at least making it look like you're personalizing things based mm. on um, based on interactions and actions that, that students take that are tracked through Slate. So, and you know, that's, I think, at just, just another level and, and probably, especially, and we haven't dipped into the AI world at all, but like, I think that's the direction that when you think about 10 years from now, um, that's the direction that things are probably heading. 10 years from now? No, it's like next year. Like we're, it's happening. We're in it. I'm so sorry to tell you, you're gonna have to like old dog new trick it here very soon, my friends. Well, and thanks for mentioning AI, because that's what I wanted to ask you about. I'm curious from your perspective, um, I'm going to DC this weekend to present at the NICU conference, which is private colleges and mostly presidents um, early next week. And we're going to be talking about AI. And I'm, I'm really going to be curious to bring back to the Vine Down audience, like what being in a room with presidents talking about AI felt like, because there's all this focus on AI for teaching and learning. For small colleges, there's like this pushing down of 
Well, AI will really hinder us building personal relationships. And I will argue till I'm blue in the face that no human counselor could take in 3,000 data points about a student, package those up into something reasonable to say to a student, and then say it to them. I would love humans who are AI-powered to have a ton of information and data at their fingertips to be able to focus on the human part of the relationship building. So that's really important to me. But I'm curious, Lee, from your perspective, like as a small college, what, if anything, have you been talking about for AI? I mean, you're probably leading me to it because you're saying like, well, not for 10 years, but is this something you're thinking about? Is it something you're talking about at the cabinet level? Like, what does that conversation look like? It's been something that I've been thinking about. um, And yes, much more, you know, it's going to happen much sooner than 10 years. And (laughs) Sorry. We can talk about, yes, uh, you know, old dog, new tricks. Absolutely. Um, but it's not something that, you know, in terms of our right now, like within our strategic enrollment plan, we don't have a plan for AI within that. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be developed. And, you know, really, as we look as um, as a campus, how both within the enrollment um, division, but across campus, how it's going to be utilized as well. It's going to be something in the very, very near future. Um, to your point, like that management piece, that's the piece that's the most scary to me. Like it's, it's coming whether we like it or not, but yep. um, having the resources and the capabilities in order to, to be able to manage it is what's probably the, the scariest part about it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a whole different aspect of job training that we're going to need to do with our staff and their, you know, staff is going to be coming to us having been using AI. I mean, right now, average of 70 or 80% of students in high school are using AI. Like it's not so long until those students are you know, new in our workforce as really native users of this. Um, so no, I'm sorry to say we can't do anything about it. It's happening. Um, yeah, that's, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm particularly interested to see what happens with small colleges, because I, I think particularly large flagship and R1 institutions will have the resources and sort of innovation charter to bring AI solutions first. But once those trickle into enrollment at big flagship institutions, they will suddenly be able to do this super powered relationship building personalization that they've never been able to do. So small colleges, unless you have a perspective about AI, Big colleges are coming for you. Like they are going to get there first in terms of using AI effectively to build relationships and individual human first relationships powered by the data that AI can provide us. Um, And I suspect there's going to be a big shakeup around, you know, the small colleges who, who have made a big brand and being effective building relationships. Like you're not going to be alone in that anymore. Um, We always get to a doom and gloom moment on the vine down. Yay, recruitment. Um, Okay, Lee, as we wrap up the show, we wrap up the way we always do by asking you what you are excited about in the next six months, because it is a bleak time. It's been a crazy week with FAFSA news. Things continue to get crazier in this weird chapter of enrollment that we're in. Um, And I'm very curious from your perspective, like what feels exciting for you right now or what's coming up for you that feels fun? Receiving a FAFSA in the next six months, that might be exciting. I don't know if that's too soon. No, it's just, <laughs> it's just right. Oh, I shouldn't laugh. It's, it's um, well played. Yeah, I would be looking forward to that too. Um, what are you like serious side of that question? What, what do you think? What are you doing with your team right now? 
We are um, being as nimble and, and proactive as possible right now. So, you know, we've have sent some communication already out to um, our admits and are going to be looking forward to uh, following up with that next week with some additional communication and really working with them, um, hopefully as much on an individual basis as possible to help answer as many questions as possible without um, the FAFSA data, obviously. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of months. It certainly will be. I'm starting to see institutions push back commit dates from May 1st to June 1st. Is that something that's on your radar yet? Or are you not willing to like swallow that quite yet? It, it's definitely on our radar. I know, you know all the you know, national professional organizations put out um, a release yesterday. Um, so it's definitely on our radar and something that we were talking about here internally. Well, besides getting a FAFSA in the next six months, is there anything else that you're excited about that you feel compelled to mention as we wrap up? Uh, well, we've had 50 degree weather here in Iowa over the last couple of days. So we'll take that for, for February 1st and looking forward to, uh, you know, a nice spring in the future. We had uh, a guest from the University of Iowa two weeks ago on the Vine Down when it was like 50 below. So it's like a hundred degree swing. Um, wait, that's not how that works with Fahrenheit, but a big swing. And uh, <laughs> um, I'm glad that it is temperate and you're not frozen. Lee, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate your friendship, your partnership over many, many years. And I really appreciate you sharing your old dog wisdom to the Vine Down audience. I appreciate you. Thanks, Emily. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate Great. the invitation. Yeah, thanks for being here. Vine Down humans, take good care of yourself. It is a crazy time out there. Hydrate, be well, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. <laughs>